HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. This week on a special bonus episode of Meat in 3, we find out why the bacon, egg, and cheese, that classic bodega sandwich, is popping up on menus of New York's trendiest restaurants. We did a few iterations of it, and I was trying to fancify it. We tried the sausage, egg, and cheese, and then we tried to put charmoula sauce on it. We used feta cheese, and we're just like taking ingredients of the Mediterranean, if you will, and try to infuse it. But uh, for me, it was like a car wreck. Tune in to hear about the wild journey of the bacon, egg, and cheese, from deli to fine dining, on Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from, well, you know, to one sharp... Because Matthew's got something to do from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing? Good. Yeah? Uh-huh. Yeah? Matt and Booth, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah? Anything happened in the past week when we weren't here? Uh, no, the place just shuts down while you're not here. Oh, <laughs> man, yeah, man. You didn't cook anything good, eat anything good, stab anyone, nothing? <laughs> no, I went down to Shenandoah. Uh, I was looking for bear. I was going to cook up some bear, but... Do they eat bear there? Is no. it bear season? No, you're not allowed to eat the bears anymore. Mm. But they're supposed to be delicious. That's that's the lore. Um, ding, ding. Young bear is supposed to be delicious. Ah. Nastasi and I have had old bear, like killed at the wrong time of year, and not good. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> it was not good. And then Where? Remember when we, we bought some stuff from this guy, but then Dave cooked a whole raccoon, right? Oh my and God. they were giving the, this was at the FCA, they were giving the tour to a new potential student and they would take him around to each of the kitchen classrooms and Dave's sitting there with this whole raccoon. I think you had already deep fried it or something. Yeah, it was nasty, by And the then way. the kid, the stu- potential student was like, what's he cooking? And the tour guide was like, I don't know. Baby? <laughs> <laughs> that's a true story. That's a true, that's a true story. I, I don't think those people shelled out the money to go to the FCI. So. <laughs> At what age is raccoon delicious? Uh, I don't, not whatever we had. So, like, you know, it turns out we bought from this guy, this guy, I'm not even going to say his name, but 
uh, he, you know, on his website, he was like, oh, everything is res- responsible, blah blah USDA, like, legal and everything. And then I talked about it on the blog, and a bunch of people, you know, wrote in and were like, a P.S., this guy was arrested once for doing, like, illegal stuff. I mean, it's the kind of stuff where... I was like, I'm never going to order from that guy again. So we never ordered from him again. I mean, there's an, there's another outfit out that sells kind of like super rare exotic meat. But the problem with exotic meat, it's not like if an animal is being raised for food, like in general, like it's slaughtered at the at, you know, at a time anyway, that has some relationship to an economic value of when the either meat is good or in some cases, you know, wolf or sheep, whatever. But there's a reason why an animal was killed at that particular time at that stage in its life. A lot of the exotic stuff is like, I gotta go kill some raccoons now. So who knows? You know what or I mean? What like is like circus? People. Or no? Well, it's like you know, like I got this lion, and I swear, like I got this lion, and uh, it's eating me out of house and home, and it turned mean. I mean, who knew lions would get big, right? <laughs> I mean, who could have predicted that that little cub would turn into a giant meat-eating, dangerous animal that I have to have in a cage outside my house? Who could have figured that out? You know what I mean? And so then they sell it to, you know, this guy that we don't buy anymore. And then they, you know, it's, it's kind of it's a, hor- it's a horrible thing. So it's all these, so the bear is probably an old circus bear is what Nastasia is saying. Definitely. Yeah, probably. You know what I mean? So it's like not, not anything you want to support. But I will say that uh, I've heard from hunters that, you know, bear at the right time of year, the right age is delicious. But I have not had it that way. And you can get, I think, commercially prepared and raised bear in, in Japan, at least, up in Hokkaido. You know, they're kind of famous for it, but I've never had bear. I was, you know, the one time I went to Japan with Nastasia, we didn't have bear. No. No. Not that we know of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm waiting. So I don't know. The answer is, I don't know. I know that the raccoon I had, not delicious. The beaver, delicious. Delicious. Uh, I heard someone else on the internet bad-mouthing uh, beaver. Uh, hello, Internet. I disagree with you on this point. So, uh, Somebody is on the phone with, I think, a piece of information, not a question. All right. Uh, hello, caller. You're on the air. What is your piece of information? Hey, Dave. It's Andy in Chicagoland. How you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. What's up? Good. So as a fellow lover of most things Neil Diamond, I wanted to defend Cracklin' Rosie. Ooh, get, a, get a on board. Totally yeah. Legitimate song. Yeah, totally. So it's... Um, the legend is that Cracklin' Rosie was this cheap, sparkling rosé wine that he heard of and wrote a song based on it. So it's a poor man's lady because it's cheap, you know, don't need uh, whatever. What was the other thing? About, oh, yeah, it's a store-bought woman. It's yeah. a bottle of booze. Ah. Yeah. So you can go on loving it and not feel too bad about that song. Even ah. though, you know, I think there's some other questionable Neil Diamond tracks. That's it. Like, what's, that the, what's the questionable one? LA's fine some of the time. Well, you know, the one that we all love to hate, and even, even me, you know. Uh, Sweet Caroline? You know, Sweet but Caroline. Is it problematic uh, from a written, lyrical standpoint, or is it problematic because it's an awful song. because everyone goes ba ba ba? Like what? Well, that's that's <laughs> terrible. I mean, pardon, oh, my, family, sorry, show. family show, family show, family yeah, yeah, show. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, that's terrible. But also, I think I heard that he wrote it after being inspired of a young Carolyn, seeing a young Carolyn Kennedy. Uh, on the cover of a magazine, and it sort of sexualized her. So I don't yeah. know if that's really a problem. I don't know if that's really true, but... How I mean, old was she, he, without, at the time? Like, what was the spread? Oh, you know, I mean, she was, like, you know, preteen. Oh, gross. Oh, teen. disgusting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, hey. I, you know, I don't know if that's true. Don't quote me on that, but you can 
well, you can you can quote me on it as long as you say it's you know it's not authoritative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like you know, anyway. he's still alive. We could ask him. You know what Nastasia's yeah. favorite is? Traveling. Tra- was it Traveling Brothers? Uh, wait, wait. Uh, Brother oh, loves God. Traveling yeah. Salvation Brother Show. Brother loves Traveling Salvation Show. That album is the best. It's, it's one of his first albums, I think, and it ends actually with Sweet Caroline. But uh, yeah, that's a banger. You Nast- should listen to the whole album. Nastasia enjoys any situation where you physically have to lift the old ladies. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, pack up the babies. Grab um, the old ladies. Real quick, Everyone also, goes. You know, you guys have all seen Hot August Night, right? I or have not. To the album, I mean, listen to the album. Oh my god! Oh yeah, the, the album. I know. Did, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah well, that's what I meant. That's yeah. all I meant. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, that's it. Let me ask you it's one more me. question before you go. Yeah. How damaging was that wretched jazz singer thing to his legacy? You know, I don't even know. I'm a fan of basically everything that happened around Hot, hot August Night and before. So. I don't even really know. What do you think? I, I don't know. I don't even think. I mean, like that was yeah. just a terrible movie situation. Was that his only right. movie? It was a nightmare. It might have been. Yeah, I, I've never seen it. I don't think I ever will. Um, yeah, I don't. just like to think of him as you know his his in his prime years in the you know late sixties, early seventies, and just kind of leave it at that. And, I, I used uh, to sing. Uh, I used to sing the uh, L.A.'s uh, fine, but it ain't home. New York's home, but yeah. it ain't mine no more. To my sister-in-law, <laughs> Miley, when she uh, moved out to San Francisco, she was like, you're a jerk. <laughs> she moved back, though. I am yeah. my shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a good one. That's yep. right. a great song. Great song. Anyway, thanks yeah, so much well, for that I'm information. Just, you, you, Will Ferrell's Neil Diamond on SNL. You ever seen that? No. Behind music? No. no. Oh, my God. So good. He tells the quote-unquote stories behind his songs. you got to check it out. Uh, I, like, I like Will Ferrell, and I like Neil Diamond, so yep. that seems like I've won yep. twice. Check it out. Yeah. Yep, you certainly have. Cool. I appreciate that. All right, Dave. Yep, take it easy, man. Nice. Oh, and on the subject of non-cooking-related stuff, we'll just get it out of the way now. I'm building a laser projector. That's just has nothing to do with anything, but I bought this crazy laser on eBay, a visible laser, and I was like, oh, it's, it's only 800 milliwatts, how bad can that be? Oh, my God. When I turned that thing on, Nastasia, I accidentally burned through one of the wires because the beam was crossing the wire. And then I realized, thank God, my wall is white. Or, like, I would have lit my wall on fire. It is crazy. My God. So dumb. Wait, so what dumb. laser projector for what purpose? So I had this idea that, like, wouldn't it be nice if your laser pointer could work like a highlighter or an underliner where you could just underline something with your laser pointer. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm building that. Does it underline the thing by searing its way into the wall? No, 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 no. When you're scanning it at a high kind of frame rate, you see the, the point is the dot's not supposed to stay anywhere. There's two, there's two mirrors, galvanometer mirrors, that are like, you know, like we're going back and forth, and they trace the beam all over, and you turn it off and on. So it's like spread out. You know what I mean? Like it's not like a dot that you're sitting what are you there. What going to use this for? I just wanted one. Hot August night. Anyway, uh, so the, uh, anyway, I, I don't know. So if you're going to go buy a laser on the internet, just, you know, be careful. I mean, everyone says be careful. I knew to be careful. Like, I, I had the glasses and everything. I wasn't going to shine it in my eye. But I was like, who f- thinks that 800 milliwatts, less than a watt, is going to ignite stuff in your house? Uh-huh. Dax was pretty stoked. Dax walked up there with, like, matches and was just, like, lighting match after match after match with it. I was like, Robert from the chat claims that you're going to have a very tough time finding a lens that the laser won't burn and distort. 
Oh, you're not, we're not using a lens. So it's like, it's literally just mirrors and it's not like a high power and it's not, uh, IR. It's, it's all visible. It's all visible light and it's just mirror bouncing. So, it, you know, you, and it, all this stuff used to be fantastically expensive, but now for like $70 or less, if you're willing to get it direct from China, you can get like dual calibrated, like XY, uh, galvanometers and, uh, you know, you, like a, and the laser, you buy, a, you buy a, an RGB laser now, also cheap, where they've already like aligned all of, the, all of the mirrors so that the beams are coincident, and it all comes in a box. You know what I mean? So you buy like the laser box, and it's got you know, TTL, which is just you know, logic inputs for turning the individual lasers on. You put that onto a microprocessor. The microprocessor drives a DAC, which is a, a digital audio uh, thing, and then you just put that directly into the input of the drivers for the mirrors, and they sit there tracing stuff, and you're done. It's like you know, a little bit of programming on an Arduino, and you know, uh, and you're done. The hard part is getting uh, is building the little uh, nine axis the, the nine axis degree of freedom like hand thing that I'm going to use as the uh, drawing thing. Well, whatever. This has nothing to do with cooking. This has nothing to do with cooking. All right, uh, and also nothing to do with my job. And now Nastasia is mad because she thinks this is the new civil war, because she's thought that I was spending all my time instead of working on our business, working on. Uh, do you do you, Dave. Reading you Civil do you, War. You do you. What? Since when? Since when, me <laughs> How's that sous vide book going? Oh, uh, you know what? <laughs> yes. Is no. it going? I mean, ish. I mean, in fact, the classics in the field, for the first time ever, the classics in the field is going to be something, A, related to the, to the book, mm-hmm. and B, I don't have it with me. I forgot to, like, get it um, and bring it with me or anything like that. Anyway. We should do this because it's... What's this? Oh, uh, wait, wait, we're still talking about weird animals, right? Or we're done talking no. about weird animals. So, raccoon bad. Yak, great. Loved yak. Yak, delicious. I would eat yak again and again. Uh, beaver, good. Bear, bad. Uh, guinea pig, very good. Remember when they brought it in and we were doing whole deep fried cooey, the guinea pig? Yeah. That was very good. Capybara, good. Uh, crocodile, we never had a, or alligator, we never had a good one, right? We had that in Florida, right? And it was terrible, yeah. right? Yeah. It was garbage. Yeah. I mean, or I've had it, you know, commercially prepared. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, how did that come up? How did the weird animal thing come up, he Matt? He was bear hunting. Oh, yeah. In, Shenando- in Shenandoah. Listening to, uh, listening to John Denver before he moved out to uh, freaking... Uh, John Denver. What is the fact? Oh, Nastasia's favorite Oh, fact. I bought you... Um, if we're doing this chicken cannon thing. I think we're doing the chicken kind of thing. Um, do, 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 we, do we have confirmation that we're doing Not from your brother-in-law. Anyway, uh, I bought you John Denver's Christmas album, so we can play it. But what Friday. does that have to do with the chicken gun? Just in general? All right, yeah. <laughs> so, Nastasia, again, not cooking-related, but Nastasia's favorite... David, it's yours! We both it's not. It's out. yours. You found it out, and you're the Fine. one that, like... Fine. This is a classic... Okay. Nastasia saying that something that is her favorite is somebody else's favorite because she's like, I'm a little embarrassed that it was. No, oh, speaking of a little embarrassed, I need people to tell me what they think the coolest karaoke place they've ever been to is. Oh Nastasia and I, I've went for the first time in my life to karaoke, so I'm a oh neophyte. And I found that the system was garbage. So I want to hear from people like. Supposedly in LA, there's a bunch of good ones. Really? Mm hmm. I spoke to Damon Harjoey Rogo at the bar, and he says that there are some good ones in K-Town here I that have, like, right. effects and stuff like that. He's going to take us to okay. one of the good ones. Right. Anyway, <laughs> I want to know what, like, the most, like, uh, like tricked out Wait, karaoke. Wait, tell John Denver. So John Denver, 
I mean, John Denver, voice of an angel, right? Acted in many famous versions of Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, You Devil, like all of those things with George Burns. Uh, troubled men. Anger. Deep-seated anger. I mean, among other things, right? I mean, no, there's like anger issues. Well, I mean, that's what we're talking about now. Yeah. But went through, you know, a nasty divorce, a nasty divorce. Where he had to give her half of everything. And shows up, walks up, and by the way, you sh- in your mind, I want you to be singing uh, Grandma's Featherbed, which is uh, one of his, you know, kind of good songs, right? You like that song, right? I don't know it. Didn't, didn't get a lot of sleep, but we had a lot of fun on Grandma's no, Featherbed? I don't know it. I don't know it. Anyway, Matthew, you know this song? Saucy, no. Yeah. Uh, and at the end, there's some muffled words about the girl down the lane. Anyway, it's a great song. Go listen to it. Uh, goes into his four-post feather bed. Post-divorce, or, or during divorce. During the divorce, and it was like, half, half! <laughs> Pulls out a chainsaw. <laughs> Cuts the bed in half and walks out. Now you're never going to hear a John Denver song the same. Didn't get a lot of sleep, but we had a lot of fun on Grandma's Featherbed. Anyways. Okay. Trying to follow the court's orders. <laughs> it's half. Half. This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Join us to explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, where you'll taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on -on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Join the party. Tickets are available now at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Uh, okay, so... Kevin from Long Island. Long Island? Mm-hmm. Strong Island. Does not wish to be identified... By the way, I want some people to write in. I know you write things to, like, words of encouragement to Nastasia about how terrible I am. I've seen them. Uh, yeah, I, but, I don't uh, spare you any yeah, yeah, yeah. email. But, but, will you please... This is a Long Island thing. Will you please write into her and tell her that before it's too late... She oh should my God. allow herself to see a Billy Joel concert. Please. Please. Why should you deny yourself this concert? I thought we were supposed to go. We were supposed to get tickets, or like free tickets. That's the only How way is that going to happen? You said you knew somebody from MSG. Anyway. 
when I was like 20, I knew the guy. You told me like, like last year. Anyway, whatever. Please enjoy the following. We have a striped bass fillet that was caught this Sunday, but that's frozen or something, right? We can't eat that. That's for you to take home. Okay. Uh, masa, also not cooked, so we're not going to eat it now. But it's made with masienda corn. Uh, and this, this listener does not wish to be identified. No, Kevin from Long Island. Oh, Kevin. I think he signed yeah. a Capri Sun. No, that's his email. Don't. Oh. <laughs> not. What do you think about that beverage, Capri Sun? I love them. Really? I have one flavor, Red Berry Blast. Red Berry Blast. So good. That... Man, you and Booker, same exact human <laughs> being. Do you know that, like, uh, you know the company Honest Tea? Yeah. So they basically were like, the kids, they had kids apparently. This is the story that Booker tells me. So it's filtered through Booker's mind. Mm-hmm. And I didn't bother researching it myself. Mm-hmm. They had kids. And the kids were like, yo, we don't like tea. Make something for us. And they came out with Honest Kids. This is a marketing genius thing because it's fundamentally Capri Sun and it just says honest kids on it. And so parents are like, it says honest kids, so I don't know. This box of sugar and water is better than the other one. And so they pound honest kids like the end of the world is coming. Jeez. Yeah, Capri Sun. People are working on the Capri Sun uh, cocktails. That's the thing. Aww. That's the thing coming up. Well, it's like when you're on the beach. Mm-hmm. No? No. No? Mm-mm. What do you think? Of, you like canned wine, though. Yeah. If in a pinch, we drink it. Well, I mean, like, it's not like if I you had a cooler it. and the cooler was full of beers and then yeah, rosé wine, what are you going to go for? Yeah. Do they put carbonated wine in cans? Sometimes. Is that good? Lightly, no. You wish it was good, though. Yes. That way you could be pounding. Although you would get effed up hard. I get so if, if, hard. if people, That's the thing. Is like They're going to put it in a beer-sized can. Yeah, they should put lot. it in like a wine glass-sized can. They have like this thing called house wine that comes in a can, and it's like it's like three glasses of wine. And how What's is that? that? <laughs> hey, sit there with a beer can and drink three glasses of wine. Wide mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah, and if you're like keeping up with, because you know you like kind of try can to for keep can. up with your friends. Yeah, yeah, it should come in like a V8 can. Yeah, that size. Yeah, or slightly larger. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Uh, partially dried uh, Fuyu persimmon. Do you like persimmon? Mm. I had some delicious persimmon from Korea that was given to us by one of uh, Jen's, uh, my wife's workers, and then it went moldy. It was still good, though. Not moldy like the mold we talked about before. Moldy, okay, moldy. Uh, summer sausage. Now, if any of you were alive in the 70s, summer sausage was... My mom used to send me summer sausages in college. Oh, yeah. As a gift. Like, yeah. Just like... I bet you miss this. Here <laughs> I bet you miss this. Was it full of like wet newspaper oh, and tomato yeah, plants? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's sausage. the deal with summer sausage? For those of us who weren't alive in the 70s. It's I just, wasn't it was, alive in the It was 70s. everywhere. It was like the thing. You went into Hickory Farms. Yeah. You got their little like cheese whiz in like a piece of aluminum foil that said like something to fancify it. There was a summer sausage... There was like a, a port wine cheese thing, oh, yeah. some crackers, and then a bunch of the Easter basket fluff. Yep. And then it was wrapped over. <laughs> and like, you know, before Hickory Farms was in the mall, Hickory Farms was crap you ordered from a catalog that showed up at your house, and because you had to wait several weeks. and salumi wasn't a thing. 
Yeah. So then you would wait and it showed up. Then once it was in the once once you could just walk into a mall and buy it, I was like, the blush is off the rose. I was like, you know, nine or something. Like <laughs> Summer sausage. So that was one of the things. That was like the Hickory Farm thing, right? I bet you miss this. But this summer sausage is uh, not the Hickory Farm style. It's a blend of hunted white-tailed deer from upstate and oh, commercial man. pork. Uh, okay, it's uh, with a C.H. Hansen Safe Pro uh, culture, which is the lacto culture that you use to drop the, the pH in it so that it's safe. Uh, fermented in a bag to proper pH, then smoked. All right, you want to? Wanna... Oh, it's a. Um, uh, Elias Caro from uh, Olympia Provisions, who was on the show while uh, his his recipe with minor adjust- adjustments stored in the fridge since January of this year. I've been eating it since then, and then we got some venison jerky. Matt, you're having some of this. You heard what I called you, venison jerky. Uh, standard recipe with a uh, handashi in it. Hunted this. Uh, wait, hunted this whitetail past Saturday, and you already have jerky. Man, you're prolific. And two different types of Chinese rice yield mold which I also enjoy, and gets caramel creams, a man who knows my favorite candy. Now, you eat this, and we'll talk about it, and then while you're, while you're eating, I'll be talking, and then you talk about gets caramel cream and our unsuccessful attempt to mimic it, what we're trying to do while I eat mine. All right, go. Okay. The, so- the sausage is good. We try to make gets cal- caramel creams, but with a coconut cream center, and it was we we were unsuccessful. I don't know why we were unsuccessful. It was bad, but imagine people. That would be so good. Yeah, a coconut caramel cream with it. I mean, gets caramel cream. For those of you that have never been to the nor- northeast or you know Pennsylvania or anything, gets is spelled G O E T Z, so it should be pronounced Gertz, but it's Gets and it says on the package because they're sick of people mispronouncing the name. Gets, let me ask you a question random question. You go to a bar, I don't know, let's say it's existing conditions, right? And, Wait, no, let's go to my bar, my favorite bar. Oh, <laughs> let's say you go to existing conditions and and you could buy Martin's pretzels are my favorite. You know this, you've heard me talk about it a million yet? times. What did you get them yet? Not yet. So, my question is, is what is reasonable to charge for like three dollars? Three dollars for three pretzels, yeah. I love Martin's pretzels. Martin's pretzels, the best. I had these people come up to me, people that I generally respect, and they're like, really generally respect these people. This is delicious sausage. They were like, really good sausage. They were like, I don't like hard pretzels. I was like, get out of my face. Don't talk to me for a week. They were some of your colleagues. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) I don't want to see you or talk to you for like a week. Like, how do you not like a hard pretzel? I like soft pretzels. First of all, soft pretzel, not really even a pretzel in my heart. Mm-mm. Pretzel stick, not a pretzel. Pretzel's a pretzel. And Martin's are like the best, clearly. If you've never had a Martin's pretzel. This summer sausage would taste good with some Martin's pretzel. Oh my God, right? And some, some mustard. I need some mustard mm-hmm. up in this. Mm-hmm. I need some mustard up in here. <laughs> uh, yeah, Let me, so you, you talk while I eat the jerky. Will you finish eating the jerky? Jerky's good. Well, you, you got to say more about it because i got to have about five seconds to well, eat. Well, I'm worried about it. Why? Because you say that you're not supposed to eat, you don't eat cow jerky, and you no, eat everything. I eat cow jerky. No, you say don't. Tr- you say I don't eat, eat cow brains. No, when we when we go on road trips, you say don't get the cow turkey, get the pig what? jerky, or the turkey jerky, but not the oh, cow. I don't know. I don't remember saying this. Really? No, but you said it three times. The best turkey jerky is the one from Lancaster County, PA. The, in the Lancaster County Farmer's Market, there's a lady called the Turkey Jerky Lady. 
or something like this. And her turkey jerky is like the best turkey jerky if you like turkey jerky. Do you like turkey jerky? I like jerky. This is good. I could use more salt and spices, no? You could. <laughs> but no, right? Actually, you could not use any more salt or spice. I wish I could tell you the story of the Amazon person that I pissed off this morning. Nastasia Lopez. <laughs> I texted Dave and I said, I'm an a-hole. <laughs> Which, by the way, is the approved term. Please, yeah. let's start calling each other a-holes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. That's it. You're not going to say anything more about it? No. Nope. Right. Anyway, what do you think of the jerky? I think it's good. I mean, I always add more salt. Mm -hmm. I always add, I don't think it needs more spice. I just like, I'm a, a salt fiend. But the issue with jerky is, is that it's easy for it to go way too salty because you're dehydrating it. You know what I mean? You could post salt or post dust it. Anyway, mm -hmm. I'm going to answer some questions in a minute. And then we got to remember, we got to get the classics in the field. We only have 10 minutes. And yesterday, you'll like this. Uh, so we also, we did Questlove's event. We did Questlove's uh, book launch for the mixtape Potluck last week, which is why we didn't have a show last week. And uh, That was mostly because I couldn't. And I had to do a... I had to do a cocktail that was almost entirely Grand Marnier. And Nastasia decided it was going to be called one of my favorite things to say. It's a, it was originally my grandpa lives in my driveway, but, but Grand Marnier is grandma in bar parlance. And so we called it my grandma lives in my driveway. And so all of these people. All these famous people. Were like, uh, I'd like my grandma lives in my driveway. <laughs> and I was like. And Peter came up and was like, my grandma lives in my driveway. I'm like, are you mocking me because my grandma actually lived in my driveway? Peter came, you and punching me. Yeah, we've told that story on the air, right? Mm -hmm. My grandma lives in my driveway. Yeah. You're not my grandpa. My grandpa lives in my driveway. <laughs> oh, my God. It was amazing. Because my grandparents legitimately lived in a motorhome in my driveway for years. In, well, my parents' driveway. If there's a way to Google the episode where you talk about your parents' wedding or your mom and your stepdad's wedding, that's the greatest story ever. Really? Ever. Mm -hmm. The Speedy? Yeah, I try to. I, I don't. To know. this day, I don't even know. I've never had a Speedy. I don't know what it is. I don't know like how to translate like Neapolitan Boston diaspora. Hey, right, what's the word that you say that I said? What does it mean? Schuttengorp. <laughs> I don't have any idea. Some of them I know what they are, but like they're just mutilated, like escongil. You know, give me, you know what I mean? That means squid, right? Uh, conch. Conch. Like yeah. you know. Well, mm -hmm. yeah. Give him the scungi. Give him the gorp. Anyway. <laughs> the other one, I have no idea what it means. Someone who is fluent in this sort of, in these sort of dialects can tell me. I just grew up hearing it. I, I have no idea what it is. It. I got, hey, so like, you know when, uh, you know when uh, Charlie Brown like gets a rock mm -hmm. in, uh, Halloween. At, on Halloween? I got a rock, which is like terrible. You can see the rock getting thrown. It's pretty, it's pretty dark, those peanuts things. Anyway, so in my stepfather's family, I got Cordopolis. What? Mm -hmm. Cordopolis. What? And like, the way I say it, it sounds like, you know, what's his name? Uh, Brad Pitt in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Mm -hmm. Gorlami. But like, Gerard, my stepfather Gerard is like, Cordopolis. You know what I mean? It's like, there's all the, someone someday will tell me what it means. Jeff from Palm Springs writes in on eggnog. Could you discuss the safety of aging eggnog? Assuming it is safe, which it is. If it's aged long enough, why is it safe? Uh, how are those perishable ingredients preserved? Alcohol and sugar. Uh, what's happening in the process? 
And this stuff dies from the alcohol and the sugar. Uh, I enjoy your show, Jeff from Palm Springs. So uh, every couple of years, this crops up. The famous work was done by Rockefeller University. Um, there was a doctor there, Rebecca Lansfield, who was, uh, died in 1981. Uh, she born in 1895, so she lived to a ripe old age. And every Thanksgiving... Now listen, this is what's important. She was aging from Thanksgiving to Christmas. So her recipe was a dozen eggs, a quart of heavy cream, a quart of light cream, a pint of bourbon, a quart of rum, nutmeg, and sugar to taste, one half to three quarters of a pound. That's a nightmare of a recipe. I know people, but this was in the 70s or whatever she was writing this. So, you know, cut her some slack. Uh, in terms of units, it's a nightmare. Uh, beat eggs, add bourbon and rum slowly with stirring to prevent precipitation of egg proteins. So she didn't ribbon the eggs, which is what a lot of people do in modern things. Uh, then here's the weird one. Beat heavy cream separately until it peaks and add to the egg bourbon rum mix. So, uh, and then it's aged, but I'm going to go ahead and say that maybe she adds the cream later. I don't know. Because why would you whip the cream, add it, and then age it? But she doesn't specify. Anyway, uh, so it turns out that that recipe is 14.4% uh, alcohol. And if she had aged it without the heavy whipping cream and put that in at the last minute, which is maybe what she did, then uh, it would have been around 20. It has a bricks of about 5 to 7.5%. What's, what's it supposed to be? Eggnog. No, eggnog is supposed to be what? I don't know, but this is her recipe. That's all that matters. So they tested they her don't, recipe. Do you know what the alcohol percentage in eggnog normally should be? No, because I don't make it. I don't drink it. I don't have a recipe for it in my book. I've never come up with a recipe for it. Didn't we make it one year? If by we you mean Piper. I thought that was you. No. Uh, so they tested it. They, they, the issue is, is that the, uh, the bacteria isn't killed right away, uh, but it doesn't grow anymore and it starts dying. So after a couple of weeks of aging, it is, uh, it is fully fine and, and will stay fine. It does change over time. Some people like very aged eggnog. Some people don't. Um, you know, Kenji did some sort of tasting a couple of years ago where they didn't like uh, the eggnog after being aged for a year, but they were serving it at 20% alcohol, which is way more alcoholic than the Rockefeller uh, recipe. So who knows? Nick Bennett from Porchlight ages it for a couple of years. We once had one that was like four years old and it was nasty. Remember Guess that? what Nick Bennett's going to use this year for Christmas? What? Wine Santa. Oh, God. So Wine Santa, I, you know, I don't have time. I don't have time. Uh, Alex writes in, uh, interested in hearing uh, Dave's opinion on space ice cream. I'm personally a huge fan. Thoughts, opinions, anecdotes, chemistry. I've made it. The stuff's just freeze-dried. It's easy to freeze-dry uh, ice cream because it's already got a lot of air holes in it, so it's relatively undense. So the less dense the ice cream you start with, the uh, easier it is to freeze-dry. And because it's already kind of in a frozen state and you're not worried about collapse, you can just kind of take ice cream out of the freezer and freeze-dry it. You don't need liquid nitrogen or anything crazy. So if you have any sort of freeze-dryer, uh, it's very easy to make. I think it's okay in the way that, like, you know, marshmallows in a cereal box are okay. What do you think? Yeah, I don't It's fine. But it's, it's, it's like one of the easiest things to make in a freeze dryer, and it's relatively stable, so... Uh, and it tastes relatively good compared to other freeze-dried things straight. Uh, like, you know, the worst freeze-dried thing I ever freeze-dried, like oysters. Oh, my God, were they bad. Remember that? No. And clams? Oh, God. Oh, it was canned clams. I took canned clams and freeze-dried them. And imagine, imagine if the ocean came to rob your mouth of all of its moisture. Imagine if low tide, the personification of low tide, showed up and removed every speck of moisture from your mouth. That is what it tastes like. 
The trick with oh, Dave, you got three minutes. Oh, the, the tip with the trick with deep uh, freeze drying is that there needs to be enough water in it for there to be a good texture when it's done, and there needs to be enough fat in it such that it's not intensely drying, or enough sugar such that it's not intensely drying when you eat it. That's the trick. Uh, now, uh, and then we did this other thing. Okay, so oh, you didn't get the question I sent you. Yeah, what I did. Oh, country ham. Uh, we'll do country ham next time. Because uh, I want to get maybe, uh, I'll get Cesare to see whether he can, f the question was, does anyone sell shank on country ham? And I don't know whether anyone does in the U.S. sell an American-made shank in country ham because even at the heritage places, the, the shanks are cut off. There's Joe Anquist wrote in this. I don't know. I'll think about it for next week. Close. So, in closing, we have a couple minutes. Classics in the field, yeah. So this week, we're going to talk about a book that was very important to me uh, called uh, Roasting a Simple Art. You ever have that book, Nastasia? No. How many millions of times have you heard me talk about it? Many. Really? So what? So tell me, what am I going to say? Something, I don't know. Ah, so you Browning, just lie. Browning effects? No. Uh, different cultures roasting? No. Then get to it, Dave. So you've never heard me say it? You didn't I've say you had. I've heard book, Roasting. What? I've heard you talk about a book called Roasting. And then from there you spaced out, so you have yeah. no idea, mm -hmm. like... Okay, the book was made in 1995. It was called Roasting a Simple Art. So Barbara Kafka, I actually had dinner with her once, which I'll get to in a second if I have time. Um, she wrote this book in the kind of mid-90s, and the uh, I don't feel that people are reading it very much these days, but I think it's hard to kind of underestimate the effect it had, or at least the kind of ripples that were thrown into the cooking uh, water by this book. Uh, and in fact, it is one of the was one of the very couple of books that is really influencing influenced me to the extent that I'm thinking a lot about it for the book that I'm writing about the miracle of moisture management. And it's a big, thick book, and it can be summed up basically with this: turn your oven up. So all of the recipes in it are turn your oven as hot as it can get, you know, and put the stuff in. Take the chicken. Turn your oven up to 500 degrees, throw it into the oven. Take, you know, take your potatoes, cut them up, toss them in oil, salt, pepper, you know, maybe some rosemary if you're Cesare, maybe some onions in there. Uh, throw it into the oven at 500 and just cook it till it's done. And when you read it, it's one of those things almost like low temperature cooking where you're like, that's crazy, that's crazy. Because when she was writing it in the 90s, in 95, no one, no one was really thinking about what was going on in the cooking process to make, to make things work and what the effect of jacking the temperature is. Instead, people like Julia Child were like bent because it fills your house with smoke. In fact, almost none of us have a vent good enough that we can turn our oven up to, or an oven clean enough. If your oven is like scrupulously clean and if all of the fat that comes off of a bird or whatever is caught in a pan that has liquid so that it doesn't scorch and fire, you can crank your oven to 500 reliably uh, because the bird itself is probably not going to burn. But it's just all the ancillary stuff that causes all the smoke. So I would say most people that are following her recipes are really only going up to 425, 450. But it was this really just like, you know, pedal to the floor way of cooking was rather revolutionary at the time. And so she caught a lot of flack for it, including from people like specifically Julia Child, who gave her flack for it. So this book was like, I, you know, it was important to me when I was doing all these experiments. I had this giant blodgett half pan oven that I had modified so that I could shoot video in it. It had glass on all four sides and I would crank it to 
you know, up to 450, which is the highest it would go, but it was convection. And I was doing her stuff, and it really had an effect on kind of how, how I was cooking at the time. Had dinner with her. By the way, she died last year at the age of like 84, 85. I had dinner with her and Giuliano Bugialli, which, by the way, he also just died this year. Uh, crazy. Do you like crazy Italian people? Yeah. But do you like hardcore? Like, I, have I ever told Giuliano Bugialli stories on the air before? Well, well, next, maybe I'll choose a Giuliano Bugialli book and we'll talk about Giuliano Bugialli another time. So having dinner, I was, I was 30, like two or three, but I looked like 22 or three. And I had just started uh, doing low temperature cooking, sous vide cooking instruction at the French Culinary Institute. I'm in Napa, which, you know, sorry, California, Napa in the summer is a hellhole, so hot, so much sun and everything I hate. Anyway, so I'm there at this conference being put on by Mondavi. This is the conference where the next year I went to it and Mondavi got wheeled up to his seat so he could sip champagne out of a straw in his, like, 90s. He couldn't move, but he could still sip champagne out of a straw. And I was like, that is the way to go. If you if, if anyone's like, but it's quality of life. Quality of life is dude is drinking champagne out of a straw in his 90s. This is a huge win. I see this as a huge win. Anyway, so we're at Mondavi at Copia, and uh, I have dinner with Barbara Kafka and Giuliano Bujali, and I, stupid, stupid, I, this is always how I do it, so stupid. I say to her, hey, so, uh, you know, roasting, great book, love it, you know, but what do you think about this low temperature cooking? And she lit into me about low temperature cooking as this new fad and everything, because I think she took it as yet another attack on the way that she was writing. She also wrote the first like well-known microwave cookbook in the 80s, in like 1987. But in my normal like bonehead fashion, I kind of wasn't clear about, well, low temperature and high temperature, these like brothers. You know what I mean? You can't do one without the other. What I was really saying is I, I'm kind of supporting this high temperature idea that you have, right? And But also kind of melding it with low temperature. My whole cooking career trajectory since then has been about high, 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 and then low, low, low way, way of cooking. And that's still the way I think. And I think people don't go back and look at her book, especially in the light of low temperature cooking, uh, that you know we do now in CV cooking, go back and take a look at her work and, and kind of reassess the importance of what Barbara Kafka did, because I think it's important. That's this week's Classics in the Field, yeah, cooking issues. Issues is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>